Master, you are flesh. I am. I am. Oh, oh it worked. Ching Tai is a piece. Jetin. Now we must satisfy the first sovereign emperor by destroying this. Not so fast, gentlemen. Oh, is it too much to ask, Thunder? Kill him for me. Won't solve anything, Dave. Too many people around here been dropping like flies already, and where's that getting us, huh? Nowhere. Fast. Ah, you know what old Jack Burton always says at a time like this? Who? Jack Burton. Me. Old Jack always says, what the hell? Your move, creep. Your move, creep. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Flying saucers. Which are really, yeah, you got it, time machines. I think a lot about this kind of stuff. This kind of stuff. This kind of stuff. <laughs> you think this is the real Quaid? It is. It is. It is. All right, welcome back to Tarantino's, and we're thrilled to have you join us for another exciting episode of our movie discussion, our movie appreciation podcast. I'm Mike Morales, and as always, I'm here alongside just plain old Angel DeLeon this week. So if this is the first time you're listening to Tarantino's, well, this is what we do. We kind of dive into the films that made our childhoods extra special. We kind of take a nostalgic trip down memory lane. We like to revisit these beloved movies. And I, I find that rewatching these movies incredibly fun because you get to see them with grown-up eyes compared to your memory as a child. Yeah, and you know what I, I've been doing too? I've been watching these movies and I'm thinking it really, I can tell how my movie, I guess, palette was uh, created. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like now that I, I like certain movies and it's like, I don't just like them now. I've freaking always liked certain kind of movies or you know what i mean it's like fun it's like dude i just thought that i was like born this way but i guess i've evolved to like certain things but it, it's pretty cool I, and and you're right the second watch is like I, oddly for me dude it's like 99 percent is like hell yeah i still like it you know what i mean <laughs> well i i find that i discover these layers of kind of new meaning uh especially now when you're older and uh, you kind of gain a fresh insight of these be- these beloved movies. And, you know, it's just much different. I think maybe when you're a kid, you kind of appreciate these movies on a surface level. But once you get to our age, it becomes uh, maybe a little bit deeper meaning. And uh, you, you understand why, or at least me, I understand why these movies became a cult favorite or, you know, a big hit at the time. Or And maybe that's just me getting old and I want to kind of, you know, crystallize what was what I was feeling at the time. And uh, that's what I kind of like. It's kind of, it's really kind of like finding these hidden treasures in a very familiar place. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It's like uh, going through your own memory and realizing that you, you forgot about certain memories that were really important to you at the time. Or um, it, it probably does have a lot to do with the nostalgia. Yes. You kind of, a lot you of, get yeah. that. Yeah. You get that feeling back. Like, you know what I mean? Like, 
I almost want to get up and jump on my bike and take off. And then I'm like, oh man, I don't get it. Yeah. Bike. I get so obsessed with the, the year that these movies come out. Like if we, you know, for, for instance, this episode, we're going to be taking a dive into the cult classic film, big trouble in little China. And I, you know, when I was kind of doing a little bit of research, I was kind of fascinated by the year that the movie came out. It came out in 1986. And I just like, well, who was I in 1986? What did, what was I was doing? And I suppose I was like 10 years old. I didn't realize how, how important 1986 was as a, as a society, as the culture, as, as like kind of the history, historical facts, you know, 1986 was a big deal because it started out with, uh, a literally a bang with uh, the space uh, the Challenger. Challenger disaster and liftoff liftoff of the 25th space shuttle mission and it has cleared the tower all five rocket engines burning well the first teacher Krista McAuliffe on her way to space with six other astronauts on board and across from me hundreds of school kids jumping up and down and cheering as this space shuttle takes off with teacher Krista McAuliffe on board What's happened? What happened? Vic, did something strange happen then? Something is gone amiss. Something is wrong. Can you see it? The Challenger disaster was a big deal for people over 45 or, you know, people we around watched our age. T- we watched that shit in class, huh? Right? When they, they turned the TV on because everybody wanted to watch it. Yeah, I remember that, dude. Then the teacher scrambling to turn it off. Yeah. It like, well, you know, like. I don't we'll you know back I, later. To be honest, I don't remember that day, but I do remember the aftermath. And I remember mm-hmm. my teacher being very affected by it. And yeah, they had teachers on there, didn't they? Well, they had the one teacher. They had uh, uh, Christy McCullough. Well, the whole no, no, idea, well, yeah. She was a teacher though. Well, the whole idea was to relaunch the NASA program again. Try to take us back to the 60s of the, the space age. And it Get was us all excited. Again. Yeah, I remember Tang. I remember Tang was part of it too. And like mm, everyone yeah. drank Tang. When Gemini 4 first launched men into space, Tang instant breakfast drink went with them. Since then, people everywhere Morning. have launched the day with Tang. From Gemini to the shuttle to Earth families, launch your day with the goodness of Tang. Yeah, it was like the first time NASA went up, and now it's like we're all going up. You know what I mean? That that was the feeling. It was. It, it was, was like a. Feeling. It was like an Americana thing. Like, let's be proud. There was movies that came out, you know, like uh, uh, Explorers. You know, there was this, there was, yeah. this, there was that NASA, NASA or that space movies with kids. Um, the Mac camp. We went to camp. A space camp. Space camp, right? So there was like yeah. this fever at the time. And then it kind of just, it just, Mac and me. It kind of <laughs> died. It kind of died. It kind of really died because of uh, the disaster. Yeah, I'm looking up like right now. I'm looking up major events in '86. It's like that, of course, was the biggest thing. That was the that was the biggest thing, and that started off 1986 because that was in January. And then later on, we had Chernobyl. (laughs) It was a big deal. Chernobyl nuclear meltdown. We had uh, Hands Across America, and we had uh, Mad Cow. (laughs) <laughs> it says it says right here mad cow disease was discovered or something first case do you don't you remember all these kind of incidents or these kind of uh, events that happened and uh, you know I'm, I'm shocked that it happened in all one one year yeah i'm i'm a hair younger uh-huh. so most of my stuff was filtered you know what i mean like i got the school one i got the i got the challenger because i was at school right yeah but like the hands across america if my mom didn't I mean, I think I heard about that at school, but like, 
if my mom didn't kind of like let it fall off of her plate, I, I never saw it. You know what I mean? If it wasn't taught to me at school, I didn't pick it up at home. Well, here's a couple of things that I, I jotted down as, you know, big deals in 1986. So Top Gun was the biggest movie of that year, the, the highest grossing film of 1986. So this is the year of Top Gun. Just want to serve my country, be the best fighter pilot in Navy, sir. It's not your flying, it's your attitude. You're the only family I've got. I'm not going to let you down. Tom Cruise. Top Gun. Rated PG. And we're kind of still living in that shadow of Top Gun. <laughs> Oprah Winfrey, uh, be her show was broadcast for the first time nationally. She was, it was a local show in Chicago, but this was broadcast nationally for the first time. Good morning. Hi, everybody. I'm Oprah Winfrey. Thank you. <laughs> Captain Ayo premiered in Disneyland. <laughs> In music territory, you got Run DMC with their first album, Raising Hell, and Beastie Boys with their first album, Licensed to Ill. And then probably one of my favorite tidbits or historical tidbits was that you had Geraldo Rivera with Al Capone's vault, <laughs> opening of the Al Capone vault live on TV. 86? That was in I April. That was later, man. That was April 21st, 19. Uh, 86, and I go, holy shit, that was my ninth birthday, literally. Scarface Al Capone may have built it, and nobody knows what's in it. Some say money. Some say bodies. Some say it's booby trap, and we're going to open it. What secret lies inside? It may be Scarface Al Capone's biggest secret, and we'll open it on live television. Step inside the vault with me on April 21st. I fucking remember staying up watching that live. And I, I, mean, very I saw disappointed. it too, but I didn't know it was my birthday. Oh, yeah. And that was the boringest shit ever, right? They opened up and there was shit in there. Yeah, it was just, they. it was a big disappointment. It was like the biggest that was that was, uh, that was the world's first example of clickbait. <laughs> I, I, I see 86 written down, 1986, and it seems like somebody else's life's ago. You know what I mean? Like, I wasn't really alive then. Yeah, I know. Well, when we met. You know, we're we're the age our parents were. You know that, right? Fuck. When we first met in like high school. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> we are. It How always old was seems your like our at parents the time, in the nineties. She was in her forties. In her forties. Fuck. Yeah, but it always seemed like they were Od- older hundreds. Yeah. yeah. Like I guess because they're. I mean, because we've always maintained that gap. Yeah. But you just felt like they were just old. Like, that's how they started old when we met. And, like, I could consciously remember my mom. She was just old. I mean, it's been 30 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you go, yeah, you go back 30 years, man. They, dude, they were in their 30s. <laughs> ah, shit, dude. That just blew late, my mind. Late 30s, yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck. Let's really begin our episode of Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, let's embark kind of a journey as we kind of explore this cult classic. And for those who don't know about Big Trouble in Little China, the, it is a, a unique blend of genres. It has action, comedy, fantasy, martial arts. I would say it's like a true gem of the 1980s. It's a trifecta, man, for sure. Yes, yes, yes. And it, like we were saying, it was released in 1986. 
It was directed by the legendary John Carpenter. It also features one of the most charismatic performances by uh, Kurt Russell. And since it's released, it has gained a really big cult following. And it kind of continues to grow. So let's talk about it. Let's, let's dive into it. There's a hidden world called Little China. What's going on here is some kind of magic. The darkest magic. It's where big trouble was waiting for Jack Burton. Who? Jack Burton. Me. Jack. Jack. Jack! You make one move. Somebody, I don't care who, tell me what is going on. My destiny rests in your capable hands. Hey, I'll do my best. gonna take Cracker Jack timing, Wang. One, two, three. We may be trapped. Total concentration. You ready, Jack? I was born ready. Dude, if I'm handing out Academy Awards, I, I'm never gonna expect something to say Kurt Russell's name. Uh-huh. But I truly love the man. He is in some of my favorite movies. <laughs> Because he could be just, he's like a, the straight man that also has the punchline. You know what I mean? And he's also the dumb guy, but he's also the smart guy. Oh, dude, he's got, he's got such a range. You know what I mean? And even Tarantino saw it and started putting him in some of the flicks. Yeah. yeah. Like, there's truly nothing he can't do, but he just, he just never popped that next level where he's going to be in contention. But, dude, maybe 10, my 10 favorite movies, he's in like three of them. Swear to God. And it's it's just crazy. And, you know, yeah, I, I don't know if people really, really appreciate... I mean, I guess they do appreciate him, him now. But back in the 80s and 90s, I, I think he, he he was just above or just below some of the big names in Hollywood. I don't know. I, it's, just, it's just odd that he he never really had that one movie where that would propel him to a different level of success. And so... Yeah, because he was in a ton of them. And he had huge casts like um, Backdraft. De Niro, yes, yeah. Sutherland. He was you know what I mean? awesome so, in that movie, yeah. yeah. Serious role, no comedy, no shtick. It's, it's insane, man. And then he's then he does um, Overboard, one of my honestly <laughs> favorite comedies, man. You know what I mean? So it's like, I don't know. He just sneaks around and he just he he's great in everything, dude. He is so great in everything he does. Yeah, it's just it's so weird that he wasn't able to really become a big big name. Even though that, you know, he's probably best known for his work with John Carpenter with uh, Escape from New York, uh, where he became Snake Plissken, which became this iconic character. They also worked together on Elvis, the TV series, or the TV movie, rather. This, I think, uh, Big Trouble in Little China was his, his fourth collaboration with Carpenter. They made five movies together. Like I was saying, Elvis was first, Escape from New York, then The Thing, which The Thing is probably one of my favorites. The Thing is one of my favorite, yeah, favorite horror. And one of my favorite performances by Kurt Russell. I think he was perfect in that. Then Big Trouble in Little China, which is a totally different performance. I mean, this is just, a, I think this is a wild performance. And in his last collaboration with Carpenter was Escape from L.A., which was the sequel to Escape from New York. And they haven't really worked together since. So it's, it's, it's great that we had these five movies, but I would have loved to see five more <laughs> you know i'm wondering though when would i'm trying to think 
when did he start being a, like a funny guy? Because definitely wasn't Escape from New York. I think this was this this. I, I think the reason why he wanted to do this movie, Big Trouble in Little China, was he, he was going to make a comedy. I think there were that was the intention. He was going to be able to play this bigger than life character. All right, we're almost out of here. Now, from here on, it gets pretty normal. Offices, storerooms, a nice false front. I count to three. Hello, I open that door, and we move out. Everybody got that. Ready? Follow the leader. One, two, three. We may be trapped. That's the, the great thing about Kurt Russell. He, he's so good at being the hero, but he has this kind of darkly comic side to him. It's not a slapstick comedy. Uh, portrayal either you know what i mean it's right. it's a very realistic but funny personality in big trouble absolutely i i think there was an intention to spoof some of those heroes i mean he's definitely doing a john wayne impersonation yeah i think that's why his lines from the movie are so easy to say <laughs> like i like you don't know yeah you don't know shit you know what I mean? it's just like it's so it's very believable like the writing and his his delivery for his lines is just so I think that's why I liked it when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. It wasn't over the top, but it was just exciting. Everything was exciting and like this is like this is a hero. You know what I mean? Like this could be the guy down the block or this could be my uncle. This could be you know what I mean? It could be so many different people. It's not just because most of the time when you're a kid you see a movie and it's a hero and it's like, I've never met anybody like that. So this brought a big role closer to me, I think, the way he the way he took it, the way he did it. Let's expand on that. Let's expand on your personal experience with this with this movie. What was your first impression of Big Trouble in Little China? Where were you? Did you watch this on cable? Did you watch this in theaters? Did you, or did you rent this somewhere on a VHS tape or something? Yeah, I never. I'd, I wish I would have went to the movie theaters, but my mom, not one of her types of movies, so there's yeah. no way she would have <laughs> taken me. But no, me and my brother, we rented it, and we instantly loved it. It was kind of like. For Christmas, we could like, what were videos? Fifty bucks or something. Yeah, we would ask for like one movie, and I'm pretty sure this is one of the first ones we asked for because we watched it so often. Like we constant, like if we couldn't find anything in the video store, we'd rent it over and over again. Wow, wow. But we loved it. I mean, dude, we used to watch like the shitty no name ninja movies. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it was kind of like it sucked because we liked karate, but it was like you had to sacrifice everything for that. You know what I mean? You had to sacrifice like a story, acting. <laughs> you know what I mean, and it was just pure karate. So, was the the appeal of this movie like you thought this was going to be some kind of typical kung fu movie or martial arts film? I know we thought it was going to be more fantasy. Okay, but when we looked at the cover, we we're like, oh, sh-. you know, it's uh, it's got so much stuff going on. We we didn't know what to expect. So the first time through, we were just amazed at everything. It had like the like the monsters, and it had like fantasy stuff but it also had like the storyline like the right in the beginning where they're playing poker and he catches the ball everything was just (laughs) so over the top and it just kept getting better it's like oh man the only thing to make this thing better is like a crazy ass street fight (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) alley fight between two huge groups bam it happened you know what i mean everything was just continuing 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 and then uh it was just it was just, dude, I still feel that way when I watch it. It's just so awesome. What's happening, Wang? Chinese standoff. A what? Don't make a sound. Hey, 
so I, I probably caught this movie on cable. Um, maybe I rented it for the first time back in, certainly not in 1986. It was more kind of like maybe late 80s. And like a lot of people, I didn't like it. <laughs> I didn't like it. And I remember you, you know, when we became friends in the 90s, I remember you guys were, you and you and your brother were, were quoting it. And I remember you guys were talking about it. And I go, and I remember just keeping my mouth shut and going, I don't think I like that movie. <laughs> But I'm, I'm, we would it, never have. We would never become <laughs> friends, man, if that was known to us. But it was almost instantaneously. I knew it as as cult uh, favorite, e- even though it didn't have box office office success. It was one of those movies that became a favorite on cable or VHS, and so I knew that there was something about the movie that that was getting a, a lot of attention. When you suggested that we should watch Big Trouble in Little China, we should like to throw the whole episode on it. I was down for it because I wanted to go back and revisit. And what you were actually thinking, maybe this time I'll find out what it is. Yes, that's true. But I think during the the decades since I since I watched it for the first time, I've been hearing people talk about it. And one of the great insights that I heard, and you know, because I watched a lot of making of documentaries, and someone said something in you know one of these kind of you know, lists maybe of John Carpenter's films. Someone said something that was a perfect way to to summarize uh, Big Trouble in Little China is that Jack Burton, the character that Kurt Russell plays, is not the hero of the movie. He just thinks he's the hero of the movie. He's really the sidekick. And once I heard that, I go, oh, that makes a whole, that makes a whole (laughs) lot of sense. He really thinks he's the hero of this movie, but really he's the sidekick. And the real hero is the sidekick, Wang, played by Dennis Dune. And I'm like, that that's it. That's exactly what it is. That's probably the reason why I didn't think the movie was all that special, because I didn't get Jack Burton. Why is this guy such a buffoon? Why is this guy such a bubbling idiot? And, you know, back then, you know, in the 80s, you had big action stars who were killing machines. And Jack Burton wasn't that. He was the opposite. And they're actually kind of making fun of that. So... I always had this intent to you know, always put down, you know, uh, always put Big Trouble in Little China on my list of rewatch, and I never got to it. And so when you sh- suggested that we should, you know, devote a whole episode, I was like, yes, let's jump on it. Let's do that. And so when I rewatched it, I realized I was completely wrong for all these years. <laughs> and I had a fun time watching it, rewatching it. I mean, it was, it, you know, I totally forgot the movie. It was like watching it for the first time a couple of weeks ago. And I, since then, I have watched it a couple of times, and it has gotten better. It's it's a it's a, a extremely quotable movie, and it is that performance by Kurt Russell where you you go, oh, this guy is doing some amazing stuff, and you know Carpenter too. You know Carpenter has that magic also. You know what? That's some bullshit. <laughs> he is the main character. <laughs> I'd say at best they're co-stars. <laughs> they're co-heroes. <laughs> the, the, well, the the idea that he is think he thinks he's the main hero. That's why he kind of shoots out all these commands. He goes, "Listen to me. This is what we're going to do." And once he tries to do it, it completely fails because he's hilarious. <laughs> but I think that's the reason why it probably didn't do well in the box office. I think people were wanting to see big action heroes, and I think this is the whole intent. They were making they were kind of making fun of John Wayne, and it, not in a in a sadistic way, but really in a loving way. But I, yeah, I'm, I'm also thinking it's the charismatic fool. Oh, that, definitely. He, you know, and he's the bravest 
you know, even though he says he's not, he's doing it for the money and you know what I mean? It's like, he still makes all the right choices and uh, uh, he tries. I don't know. I know what you're saying, but uh, I don't like to think of it that way, my man. Like, well, it the, makes a hundred percent sense, but I don't want to. And that's not, not, not to say that Jack Burton's not a great character or anything. I mean, I think, I think I wouldn't watch it without him. Yeah, I mean, you know I mean? like yeah. if his character was gone, it, it wouldn't progress the film enough for maybe. But I, I think that's the whole point of of the movie. It's like there, here's a guy who is so braggadocious, and yet he that's the kind of the inside joke that everyone's talking about. And Carpenter is also making fun of that kind of the archetypal Western hero. Uh, uh, yeah, and, the no feeling, no emotion, kick ass constantly. And I think I think he was making a, a comment on the bruce lee type of thing because remember in bruce lee bruce lee was the real hero and green hornet you know that kind of idea that oh yeah yeah. he got all the credit yeah bruce lee was a sidekick but he was the guy who actually saved the 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 missions you know and um, kato yeah so kato was the real hero and i think wang supposedly the the sidekick of the movie he's the guy who's the most proficient he's the most he's the guy who kicks ass the most and you know he's the one who kind of saves the day but Burden is so, so lovable that you can't help but root for him anyway. You make one move. Now, let's try that again, huh? Don't make me kill you, tough guy. Come on, come on, Jack! Come on! How? Uh, let's talk a little bit about the making of the movie. Because I think it's 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 incredibly fascinating about how this movie got made. Like I was saying, this is the '80s. This was the decade of the blockbuster, and so we had the rise of all the big action heroes like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, and Harrison Ford. 20th Century Fox, who made Big Trouble in Little China, they thought they had another Indiana Jones on their hands, and the test audiences was through the roof. They thought this was going to be a big hit, big box office smash. Unfortunately, it ended up being a box office dud. But I mean, a lot of, there could be a lot of reasons why that happened. You know, like we, like I said, the, the the mix of genres of the you know combining action, comedy, kung fu, and all that stuff may be a little bit too difficult. It was you know certainly I couldn't wrap my head around it when I was that young. Also, a part of it was that it was just a great year for movies. You had Top Gun, you had Karate Kid Part Two, you had Aliens, which came out a couple uh, weeks after this movie came out. Uh, the summer alone had The Fly, Transformers the movie, Ferris Bueller stays off, and uh, uh, Back to School, and I think there was a Jason movie in, in 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 the summer. So you know the competition was a lot, and I think Big Trouble in Little China just got overshadowed by by a lot of these movies. But we know who stood the test of time. <laughs> Top Gun. <laughs> I know I, this one seemed. I would have never said, "Okay, I, we got ourselves a blockbuster on our hand." I knew this wouldn't. It would drag people that I. It would drag asses to the seats mm-hmm. that were into this kind of stuff, but it wasn't going to bring outside the comfort zone of this kind of a movie. You know what I mean? It wasn't going to be like a whirlwind where everybody's like, "Oh, you got to see this movie." So that's what those other movies you listed did, but I I, I didn't know that they thought they had. I, I would have never put it up against 
one of the Indiana Jones movies. Well, John Carpenter uh, said that um, the studio executives just did not get the movie. They just didn't understand yeah. that he was making a comedy. So when they finally saw the movie, they were kind of shocked that it was a comedy. And they were kind of forced to change it a little bit to make it, you know, Jack Burton a little bit more of a hero. They changed the opening sequence with, with uh, Egg, where he, where he describes Jack Burton for the first time. And that was all kind of done in reshoots. You leave him alone. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Now, if you're protecting Jack you Burton. You leave Jack Burton alone. And we are in his debt. He showed great courage. Okay. Yeah, so that was all kind of reshoots. Uh, like set up for him? Yeah, set up because they didn't necessarily like what Jack Bird had ended up doing in the movie. And so the opening scene was kind of done as a reshoot and just to convey to the audience that Jack Burton was a hero. <laughs> but you know, what's so funny. It's, it's, it's like the way you're describing it. I'm thinking of like the pink Panther. That's what, you know what I'm thinking about that guy? Like mm, yeah. almost like a, a slapstick doesn't even know what's going on, but he's being dragged through the movie and looking out at every turn. Yeah, it's it's more like he has just bad luck, <laughs> you know. He's just yeah. a guy with just horrible luck. <laughs> I, this, dude, that's what I love. That's got to be what I like about him, though, dude. It's like, if he, yeah, you're right. Even if something happens, like the bottle where he catches the bottle, <laughs> instead of it just being luck, it's all about the reflexes. You know what I mean? So it, it, it didn't even occur to him that it was a luck one time thing. It's like, no, that was all me. That was, that was all my skill. Yeah, ah, but he's such a fun character, man. Jesus. It's all in the reflexes. I want to quickly talk about the original screenplay because originally this was set in in the Old West and Jack Burton was a cowboy instead of a truck driver. So in, in the movie, Jack Burton is a truck driver. He helps out his friend Wang to rescue his fiance who got kidnapped by a bunch of uh, Chinese uh, thugs. And Jack Burton finds himself kind of caught between this conflict between good and evil Everybody, uh, Jack and Wang, they kind of all get sucked into this Chinese underworld where you see this uh, ancient sorcerer, Lo Pan. In the original script, it was all set in the, in, in the Old West. And instead of Jack Burton looking for his stolen truck, he was looking for his stolen horse. <laughs> that was the impetus of, of, of the action. So that was originally written by a, a pair of screenwriters Gary Goldman and David Z. Weinstein. So the producers took the project to Carpenter and Carpenter didn't necessarily love the script. And he, he kind of actually hated it. You know, he didn't like the writing of it. So he passed on the project. So pr when producers came back later to him and said that, the, that they wanted to change the setting from Old West to modern day, Carpenter jumped on it and said, yes, that's, that's a much better take. So Carpenter, like I was saying, Carpenter hated the original screenplay. He brought in a screenwriter named W.D. Richter, who at the time was like, like a, a, a pretty established script doctor. He had worked on the screenplay for Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the remake in yeah. 1978. It was a big deal. Buckaroo Banzai, right? Yes. At the t same time, he directed uh, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the 18th dimension. He... Uh, uh, Richter didn't write that movie, but he directed it and produced it. So it definitely has the same tone. Uh, and he did a, basically, he's the, he's the one who did the total rewrite. That pissed off Gary Goldman and David Z. Weinstein, who were the original screenwriters. And so when I was doing my research, 
this was so funny. And I don't know if this is true because who knows what's true or what's not. So Goldman really hated this new script, hated that W.T. Richter rewrote it, hated that Carpenter just changed everything. He ended up working on a movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger called Total Recall. He, he did some uh, revisions of that script and he came up with a character called Richter, who was the villain, one of the villains in the movie, played by Michael Ironside. I want that fucker dead. I don't blame you, man. I wouldn't want a guy like Quaid porking my old lady. You saying she likes it? No, I'm sure she hated every minute of it. And if you remember, <laughs> Richter dies in a horrible death. His arms are ripped uh, apart in an elevator sequence. And uh, Arnold had the great line, See you at the party, Richter. <laughs> See you at the party, Richter. And basically, that's an F you to W.D. Richter because of him changing the script for Big Trouble in Little China. No. Holy shit. Now, I don't know if that's true, but I love that it could be. <laughs> it could be. So just print the legend because I thought that was a fantastic little tidbit and how, how that kind of works out. <laughs> you hope so, because if you become famous, you want to be bitter like that. <laughs> This is the kind of movie I can watch over and over and over again. But if it was a more serious type of a movie mm-hmm. or, you know, some of the aspects were changed, it, it would be like, oh, that was a good movie. But like, there's really good movies. I only watch once or twice. Just because it was good doesn't mean you watch it over and over and over again. But this one, dude, I could watch it anytime it's on. It's surprisingly extremely rewatchable. Like I was saying, you know, we had a lot of false starts with the, with this episode. We were going to record this a couple of times. And each time I like, I popped the, the, the movie on just to refresh my memory. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I got stuck with like, kind of watching the movie again, you know, like it, it, you can't not finish, you know, not finish the movie. I mean, you want yeah. to watch the, the, all the way through. You don't want to just watch one scene. And- it's, it's easy. It's like, it's the epitome of saying it's an easy watch. There's like no reason to stop it sometimes when it's on just, even if it's in the background. It gets really quick to, to the point. I think it's 90 minutes or so, but I mean, it gets to the point, which I really, really love. There's, there's a lot of modern movies nowadays where it really gets to our hour and a half mark where you go, Oh, so this is the, this is the plot of the movie because <laughs> it's, yeah, exactly. it's, it's, it's all kind of front loaded with exposition and, you know, character building. And also like, because everything's a franchise, you have to like, uh, you know, introduce a lot of characters here. It's like right away, Jack Burton, you know, he wins a bet. He has a friend called Wang. He needs to pay uh, Wang. Run an errand. Yeah, Wang <laughs> has to pay pay him off. Uh, Jack Burton goes on, you know, goes with him to pick up his uh, fiance, Wang's fiance, and from the San Francisco airport, and she gets kidnapped. She gets actually accidentally kidnapped. It was a, it was boffed because they were going for the that first girl, and then it gets Jack actually screws that up. And then they end up grabbing the girlfriend. But she has green eyes. And so the whole point of the movie is that this this ancient sorcerer, Lo Pan, who was played wonderfully by James Hong. Who recently was in... <laughs> Everything Everywhere All Everything at Once. Everywhere. Oh, we, yeah. He was so good in that flick. <laughs> uh, yeah, we can't go back into that one. That was too good. Yeah. <laughs> so, but we could talk a little bit about James Hong, who is a, a wonderful character actor, Chinese-American character actor, who's been in a lot of things. During the release of Everything Everywhere All at Once, he wa- he got a um, Walk of Fame, the Walk of Fame star. Oh, nice. A star? They've been putting in the work for se- decades, dude. The guy who plays Egg Chen, who's the other sorcerer in the movie, who is also the tour guide, or what was he? He, ran, yeah. he runs a bus. Uh, 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 yeah, uh, yeah, San Francisco tour guide. 
bus for tours. Yeah. That that guy that that actor is is his name is Victor Wong, and he has a, an incredible story, and we'll I'll go into that a little bit later. But yeah, he, those two right there, you know, you got Victor Wong, you got James Hong. These are two of the the pillars of kind of the Asian American community, and they're in this movie. And I think that's why this movie kind of holds up. I mean, it, a lot of times when you look at an old movie, and especially when they're dealing with you know minority characters, uh, you you know you kind of cross your fingers and hope that it's not in bad taste. And this movie is not in bad taste at all. In fact, the one person who's like the butt of the joke is the Jack Burton character, right? So. Yeah. And like I was saying, this was kind of pl- making a comment on the Bruce Lee kind of thing with with uh, the Green Hornet, where Bruce Lee never got his credit uh, as being a true hero of that series. And, yeah, and literally through this movie, they are telling him constantly, like, you're the one that's not understanding. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm a reasonable guy, but I've just experienced some very unreasonable things. Depends on how you look at the it. The hell it does. So somebody, I don't care who, tell me what is going on. The truth? I can take it. We don't know. You know, when I was watching it again for, you know, for the first time for in a long time, I didn't realize how much this movie kind of influenced not just movies, but video games. There's a three characters here called the Three Storms. And I didn't realize that that is kind of the inspiration of Mortal Kombat. At least uh, one of the characters, Raiden. Yeah, Lightning. Yeah. That's a big deal, dude. Because, you know, you're, you're talking about inspiring a whole generation of, of video gamers now. Because the design is very similar to w- what Raiden ended up being. Oh, yeah. It looks just like him, dude. The Lightning going through the, and even the the hat and everything. <laughs> Who's that? They were pretty intimidating, man, in the movie. <laughs> Dude, I, I was going to say, because you know how you're talking about how the movie plays real fast? Mm-hmm. Because the movie plays so fast, the part that I feel like is long and should be sped up is the intro, where the truck's driving in and he's pl- and the music is playing, you know what I mean? That, to me, seems like the longest part of the movie. <laughs> It really does. You're talking about with the, our first introduction? The very first opening. Yeah, after the, where Leave Jack is, Burning yeah. Alone. Yeah. And they just show the truck driving and it comes across and then they throw the title up in the wake of the And he's, of the uh, he's, he's talking to in his, uh, his, um, his CB or whatever. CB radio, yeah. But it gives you the nice warm up for him. It's like, no one's listening, but he continues to talk. You know what I mean? It's like, he doesn't need to, an audience, but he's just going to keep John away. This is Jack Burton and the Pork Chop Express, and I'm talking to whoever's listening out there. Like I told my last wife, I says, honey, I never drive faster than I can see. Besides that, it's all in the reflexes. And what I take from that that's, that scene is, like, he is pretty much making this stuff up. I don't know if there's anyone <laughs> on the other side of that CB radio. Yeah, it could be unplugged for all he cares. Yeah. It doesn't need to have an audience. It seems like he is really kind of living in his own fantasy world. And he's making these kind of weird kind of statements about, you know, you know, my ex, you know, what my uh, ex-wife said to me or something. What was the kind of line? Yeah. Um, he, no, he tells a story about how uh, he tells his ex-wife the same thing, that he never drives faster than he could see. <laughs> Besides, it's all in the reflexes. Yeah, and so this is kind of like his mantra. And we, you know, to be honest, I don't know if he has an ex-wife. I, that could, he could make, be making that up too. This is what I got out of it. I think I think maybe Carpenter's saying that, you know, truck drivers are a little kooky. 
Yeah, and they spend too much time alone. They, you know yeah, I mean? Exactly. That's what I was trying to get. They spend a little too much time by themselves. You know, they kind of live in their own world. Yeah, like they put themselves in the third person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like yeah. so, yeah. They <laughs> they narrate or they they think they they know their own story. And yeah. I don't know, dude. It's so awesome the way he does it. And I'm sure he's got like as far as Wang goes, like they got to be good friends, right? Yes. But yeah. if this if he's a truck driver, he does this all over the country, right? Yes. So probably. does he have a bunch of friends like Wang everywhere? <laughs> That's interesting because maybe the sequel or the extension of these movies, you know, if we could like fan fiction this stuff out, that Jack Brennan will have another adventure in a different town. Yeah, this isn't the first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This isn't his first rodeo like this. Yeah, yeah. Even though he's like, like way behind the curve. Yeah. Which has caught him in this one time in San Francisco and that's it, you know, like. Yeah. Might... Or maybe this shit happens to him so much that he's got a hard time keeping track. But I, lo- I love the fact that he just doesn't know what's going on because he, he kind of says that throughout the whole movie. He goes, what's going on here? Like, he's always has this kind of perplexed look in his face. But then he he, he still wants to lead. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? He still yeah. wants to lead like he knows what he's doing. To go back to, like, the airport scene where, where Wang's fiance gets kidnapped. And she gets kidnapped because she has green eyes. And, you know, the whole idea is Lopan needs a green eye w- woman to kind of rejuvenate his life form. Yeah, it's the whole... The- the legend of him. Yeah, he needs to marry a Lopan legend. Yeah, he needs to marry green-eyed w- woman, and, and and sacrifice to the god of the east. Yes, and so, but the, the, that action sequence is so funny because Kurt Russell as Jack Burton, he's fighting this gang of Chinese uh, gangsters, and they pull out a knife, and then one pulls out like a baton, like a you know one of those like extension batons that came, and he goes. Where'd that come from? <laughs> yeah, where'd you get that? And the whole time he's just backing up, like watching everything. And he's just surprised, like, what the hell's going on here? And that's like the whole whole uh, behavior that he has throughout the whole movie. But it's funny because that interaction starts with, doesn't he grab the guy in the shoulder and goes, hey, let's talk, bud. You know? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I don't, these guys aren't talkers, man. <laughs> you and me have a little talk, friend. What? Yeah! Where'd you get that? Wait a minute, pal. Get that one. Jack, come on, Jack. Uh, call the cops. Son of a bitch must pay. And you know what? I think I think what you were saying kind of earlier too was he plays a good schmuck. Yes. You know what I mean? Some of the oh, parts yeah. are schmuck parts. Like where they're they're now back in the city and they're trying to find him and he's like trying to talk to people that are just ignoring him. Mm-hmm. Like the old lady cutting up the duck. And he's like, excuse me, ma'am, have you seen? And then she just closes the window <laughs> on his head. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's it's like, and he's like, he's like, strike one. You know what I mean? Like on to the next one. It's just. It's like, it's funny because like this kind of role, it would have gone to somebody like Ben Stiller. You know, a comedic actor like or like a, yeah, it would have been too. It wouldn't have been good. It would have been it would have been too much comedy. It needed a him. You know what I mean? I don't know how many people could have done that. Yeah, because when the action starts, he's actually really good too. He's got his whole chops from being Snake, and he's so I I didn't realize how buff he is. You know, I mean, he's pretty cut in this movie. Yeah, he's solid for sure. He has that tank top. I mean, he looks like an action hero, a true yeah. '80s action hero. Yet he has this kind of swagger that's uh, an <laughs> overconfidence. Yeah, I you know he is for sure doing an impression of John Wayne. He's even got the cowboy boots. 
and he's talking like John Wayne. And this is what I didn't realize that that was actually his intent. He was doing a John Wayne uh, impression. And what I didn't realize is that he did this before with Snake Plitzkin. But instead of John Wayne, he was doing Clint Eastwood. So if you look at uh, Escape from New York, he's doing an impression of Clint Eastwood. And that was his intent as well. So he, he is known for doing these, these type of kind of impressions. And it works so well for the, these, both of these movies. Now, now that you say it, I, I'm watching him walk and the way he's kind of almost half squints with the one eye. Yeah. You know what I mean? And very like, even when he talks. He yeah. talks exactly like Clint. Yeah. You're going to kill me now, Snake? I'm too tired. Maybe later. I've got another deal for you. I want you to think it over while you're resting. I want to give you a job. We'd make one hell of a team, Snake. The name's Pliskin. He's doing impressions of two iconic American uh, heroes. And if you think of John Wayne, John Wayne's kind of pitchy when he talks. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, like get him out of there. That's exactly yeah. Jack Burton. Uh, like, he has that tonation. Yeah. Okay, I get it. I dig it. I like that how he comes in and out of serious to ridiculous like in the same same line almost the same the same scene uh, i i i still don't think it could have been done by a lot of people no i don't think I so think, yeah i don't think so and it's so funny that his performance here as jack burton has inspired i think every new action hero today you know if oh, yeah. i just i just watched guardians Valley guardians of the galaxy volume three in theaters so yeah, it's like, it pretty good it's awesome it's awesome. And it, 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 I love the trilogy and star Lord or Chris Pratt's character is basically, he's doing Jack Burton. I mean, he's doing Kurt Russell in those movies. He's a bubbling idiot hero that we can't not love. Exactly. And, and it makes perfect sense that Kurt Russell plays his father in, in volume two, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which might've been, yeah, it might've been on the nose. Yeah. But, and yeah. that's, and that's the kind of the, the bridge, you know, that connects the two. Yeah. And, and why can't it, you know what I mean? You, you don't, you can, you can be both. I, I like, that's what that's saying. You know what I mean? That there is a room for both, uh, both personalities in the same character. Yeah. I mean, I, I think because what, what Carpenter and Russell did with this character in this movie. And even though we could, you know, we said that this was a box office failure, it succeeded in the sense that it has inspired this new generation of filmmakers who are working now. And I remember hearing talk, uh, Taika Waititi, uh, when he was talking about Thor Ragnarok, about how much he loved Big Trouble in Little China. And Chris Hensworth is basically doing a Jack Burton. You know, Thor has become a Jack Burton character. It's the same kind of thing. And that's because of the, 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 the cult status of, of Big Trouble. And like I was saying, like, you know, in the 80s, and the reason why I didn't really like the movie was because it was so new and so different and I didn't get it. But now it has become more commonplace to play the, the goofy action hero. Thor has become that. Star-Lord has become that. And it's so funny because in other Chris, Chris Pine, I just saw him in Dungeon and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. And again, he is doing a Jack Burton character who is, you know, has his swagger, thinks he's the leader of the group, and yet he fails at every turn. Yeah, I always had a hard time with uh, Pine because of his face, man. Uh-huh. Like, his eyes kind of freaked me out. I always expect him to, like, turn into something. Don't, don't, but, don't, you, don't you think, like, Pine is, like, maybe the the one guy who maybe does a Kurt Russell? I mean... Yeah, maybe- you know, yeah. yeah I, I like him, and I liked him, of course, in the... Uh, 
the Star Treks, but his face was just a little, those eyes are crazy, man. <laughs> I mean, I think out, out of the whole kind of these new stars, I think Chris Pine might, might be the one who fits the Kurt Russell mold the best because he is kind of has that leading man looks, but is very good at playing comedy. Yeah, and Chris Evans, same way, man. Yeah, like I th- in the first Fantastic Four, I I, I see him more of a, well, yeah, 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 because uh, straight guy. Yeah, he's a, he's a, yeah. I don't see him as funny as as Kurt Russell though. I, he's good. I guess if your name if your first name is Chris, you're pretty much a <laughs> Kurt Russell guy. <laughs> yeah, because Chris Pratt, Chris Hemsworth, Chris Pine, and then and Chris Evans. Yeah, they're all kind of playing Kurt Russell <laughs> in these movies. We should coin it. We should coin it though. The the Jack Burton effect. Yeah. Because uh, you're right, but nobody's actually ever given it the name. We'll call it the, yeah, we'll go the Jack Burton effect. All right, cool. <laughs> so now they heard first on this podcast. <laughs> we got to talk about Kim Cattrall. Uh, why? You don't like her in She's the She's the only one I could have switched up, but I guess I just hated her after the fact because my wife made me sit next to her while she watched, what, eight seasons of Goddamn Sex and the City. Yeah, but you saw this movie before Sex and the City. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. She's been ruined since. No, but well, then let's talk about Gracie Law, the character that she plays. Ah, uh, much better. Gracie <laughs> okay. Law. No, but I think, you know, She's I the think, attorney. I think, yes, Gracie Law, the attorney. Kim Cattrall maybe gets a short shaft because of, of her time at, at Sex and the City, and maybe people just remember her as Sex and the City. I, for instance, remember her in the Star Trek film. Um, what was it? Star Trek Six? Undiscovered Country or something? Where she played a Vulcan. Lieutenant Valerie's. She's true. She was terrific in that movie. I that's maybe the first time I, I remember her in something. I remembered her from freaking Mannequin, dude. Yes. That was the movie I remembered her before this. I don't even know. I know I saw Mannequin first, so they came out one year after another, but to me she was yeah, I remember Mannequin more. I remember Mannequin. I didn't know that was her in Mannequin. So once I saw her kind of filmography, I'd say, oh, that's her in Mannequin? Oh, I didn't even realize. I think this was a, like one of my sister had a movie on video, you know, like it was her chance to buy one. Uh, I think this was one of the ones she picked. Yeah, I mean, it, it, was, a, it was a phenomenon. And I, I actually rewatched it the other day just to, just to see if it's any good. It's a terrible movie. <laughs> it's yeah, it's a, horrible. It's horrible. She's very good in it, though. You could tell that she is, again, playing the kind of She's playing up the the, the spoof of, of the whole thing. Yeah. Here with Gracie Law, she's kind of doing the same thing. She's doing a kind of classic film noir, femme fatale type of character. She has that rapid um, uh, conversation. She's firing the line. Yeah. yeah she's firing line after line after line. Yeah. yeah. And, it's, and, it's, and much of her dialogue is kind of exposition, you know, but they do it in a fun way. It's a little bit of a wink. It plays well opposite what Kurt Russell Kurt, is doing. Especially. Yeah. Dude, right now when you just said that, the, the, the scene comes to my mind where Jack's like, he's like, yeah, I took, I drank something. Now I could see things. What's that all over your face? <laughs> where does this go? Up to his office, Lopan's office. It's cooler up there from, from there we can. Do you have a gun, I hope? I have a knife. A knife? This guy's 12 feet tall. Seven. Hey, don't worry, I can handle him. I took something. I can see things no one else can see. Why are you dressed like that? I, I, I was getting married. He, he was marrying both of us just because uh, my eyes are green too, I guess. I mean, oh God, is this really happening? Chris Russell gets like all the great one-liners in this movie. 
and all the kind of quotable lines comes from him because he is playing this over-the-top character. And you have to have like a balance there. And I think Kim Cattrall does a good job of doing that. Yeah, and she's always uh, got more information than he does too, which is funny because she she basically wants to keep pushing him out the whole story. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right up to the end, it's like, like basically, let's get rid of this guy and we can go do all this other stuff. It's just funny though. Like they they do work really well. It's a good chemistry. Well, I love I love the idea. Like in the, at the very end of the movie, because <laughs> it's it's a little bit of a romance, like a kind of like a, a old classical romance where she doesn't give in. It's like a like a, like a, like a, um, like a hard to get type of romance. Yeah, like a little tip or tat. Like the, yeah, like, yeah. That's a great way to put it. That's a great way to put it. Yeah, a lot of tension, but then it's also um hyped up by that Margot chick the the friend it's like he's she's always like a hey, kurt russell you know you like her you know she's not my type <laughs> and, and i love the end where you get that character go oh, aren't you gonna kiss her and he says nope no <laughs> god aren't you even gonna kiss her goodbye no see you around burton never can tell i dude i love it when they go to the um brothel and they're gonna basically try to buy uh wing cheese girl if they can yeah they're going in for mm-hmm. information so they they dress him all up to look like a schmuck then they make fun of him looking like a schmuck <laughs> then they send his poor guy in there and it turns out that the same time he's in there that the three storms show up mm-hmm. which he's already seen kick the shit out of a whole alley full of people and now he's stuck in a hotel with him and i, I did i think the part where they all come down you know and they take the they take um, the girl with the green eyes, uh, uh, Wang's old lady, and he sees them all three lined up. He's standing there, but he still goes up to the first one, dude. He lifts his hat up and he socks them. But the look on his face was like, yeah, I didn't think that was going to do anything. <laughs> and then the guy kicks him back like through the air 30 feet. That was so awesome. But it's so funny because, you know what I mean? It's the, ah, you can't teach that, dude. Because he socks him. And then, like, he pulls his hand back, and he's kind of like, mm, yeah. And then, you know, like, in his face, is like, oh, yeah. I knew that wasn't going to work. This oh. was the scene that really made me love the movie. This whole scene where, where Jack Burton is going undercover, <laughs> and he's pretending to be, a uh, like, an out of, out-of-state salesman, or, you know, he's coming through. He goes to, yeah, he goes to this prostitute ring thing, or this prostitute house, and he's trying to get information about Wang's fiance, who, I guess... They figured out that he, she was sold, or there. So yeah, they, the Lord of the Death took her for uh, make a quick buck and sold her to that house. So then she needs he needs some information, and the way he plays it is so you know playing this goofy out of towner trying to get some information. I thought it was just like a terrific performance by Kurt Russell and the way he uh. plays it, and he's playing it goofy as hell, but it's so funny. It's absolutely hilarious. Yeah, because then the older lady, like, overhears him, and she's like, Chinese girls do not come with green eyes. <laughs> and then he's in, and then, so even though he couldn't pick her from the book, then he's in a room with a girl, and he's still trying to get information. He's like, so how's this work? New girls come in, you know, old girls go out. Yeah, yeah. So he's still trying, man, yeah. you know what I mean? And, like, she's like, take off your tie. He's like, oh, I know what you, I know what you're saying. My wife got this for me. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just funny, man. He's just playing it all the way to the end. He's what brown sh- brown pants and like just 
they give him the big old thick goggles to wear and his hair is all dorky mm-hmm. yeah i know i know he has like a, like a really nerdy look it's it's you know when i was rewatching it a couple of weeks ago i just just died laughing at it and it was just yeah. fun so fun i kind of miss movies where they just have these extremely fun scenes and it's meant to just be a ridiculously fun how do you do ma'am henry swanson's my name and excitement's my game Cash or charge? Oh, gosh. Cash, I guess. I mean, it's not deductible, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. O'Toole will take care of your needs. Boy, you know, I wish these were in color, because what I really am sort of in the mood for is a girl with green eyes. And price is no object, Mrs. O'Toole. Fresh off the boats the way I like them. The more exotic, the better. Chinese girls do not come with green eyes. When I was watching the movie, and it, it to me the 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 initial feeling that I had it was like this was like a a choose your own adventure book that they used to put out in its in the eighties. Yeah, like turn to page eight if you want to go through the door. And to- it it felt like that's what's happening here. Like these events were kind of unfolding in different stages. It would go deeper and deeper and unlock these kind of uh, situations. And there's twists and turns at every corner. Maybe that's something about the 80s that, that was the way you told a story, but it really felt like you're following Jack Burton on this kind of epic adventure where it just com- completely gets crazier and crazier and crazier by the time where literally there's a big-ass spider in a, in a, in a sewer and mo- like a spider monster and then, then like a Bigfoot creature shows up like, oh, what the hell is going on? You know, like this is like, it's crazy. <laughs> and the best part is, He's like, uh, Egg says, or like he looks at it and it's all black, and he's like, "What is that?" And then Egg says, "Um, it's black blood of the earth." Jack's like, "What do you mean, like oil?" (laughs) No, black blood of the earth. (laughs) Just like no matter what he does, like, but it's just so funny. And then when he the spider thing comes out, he throws in there. He's like, "He'll never come out again." He's like, "What? What'll never come out?" Like these things don't even have names. is that, huh? It sounds like something breathing underwater. Yeah. You will come out no more. What? Huh? What'll come out no more? Come on. Damn it. It's like, and everybody else is just chilling. Yeah, I know. You know what I mean? Yeah, if yeah. you notice, nobody's even saying a word, and he's freaked out, and nobody will answer him. <laughs> what? That's what the, never come out. That's of the funnest thing to watch Jack Burton go crazy while everyone just thinks this is normal stuff, and they or they've been through it. Jack is kind of like working as our avatar because we're like we're doing exactly <laughs> what he is feeling. You're like, what the hell is this? What's going on here? Yeah. And he's freaking out. <laughs> and even it's like a. Like he's got a, like a six whatever bag, and he's like, "So what do we do? Drink it? Yeah, fuck it. Like the one thing he can finally get, like drink it." Yeah. And he's like, uh, "Like you know, make you be able to do things and stuff." And then they get in the elevator, and he's like, "Feel pretty good, huh? Feel pretty strong." And then he's like, "What does he say? Like, uh, is it uh, is it hot in here, or is it just because yeah, <laughs> everybody's getting a little close to him? It's hilarious, man." Um. Let's let's talk a little a little bit about the visual effects in here because this is traditional practical '80s style effects, and uh, they're awesome. They're they're freaking awesome. We're talking about floating eyeball <laughs> creatures. I mean, even the people that weren't big fans of 
they gotta admit that visually it was pretty stunning. Yeah. Even as far as the sets, the makeup and everything, visually it's it's a great movie. I mean, I don't know if it was a lot of on set type of deals, like where they where they shot just in a like a a big warehouse or if they went to a lot of different places, but the floating eyeball was hilarious <laughs> and disgusting and kind of scary. Mm-hmm. Because remember when he licked himself, he had an eyeball on the end of his tongue. Oh my God, no, please, what is that? Don't tell me. A guardian, what it sees, Lopan knows. Hey, you never know that you try. Let's get out of here. You're talking about like some of the practical effects. You're talking about some of the set designs were all terrific. Yeah, set designs, the props. Yeah, all that yeah. was terrific. To quickly talk about the the who did the effects. Richard Edlin, who his name came up in this podcast a couple of times when we talked about Ghostbusters and um, Friday Night. He also worked on Friday Night. Oh, he did. Yeah, Richard Edlin is like kind of um, one of the pioneers of, of that '80s special effects. He started his career in ILM. By time Ghostbusters came around, he he started his own company. You know, he had his own effects studio, and he worked a lot of big movies. And this was one of them. Are you gonna Are you gonna say the Easter egg? What Easter about egg? the the firehouse and Ghostbusters? Oh yeah, we'll talk about that. Uh, th- there is <laughs> yeah, there is another connection with Ghostbusters where Egg Chen's, uh, what was it? His his headquarters? What is that? Office building? Is it uh, like where he stores all his goods? I guess his storage, which is the same uh, location of Ghostbusters. Uh, firehouse firehouse yeah firehouse it's the same it's the exact same uh location yeah dude it was so funny because i mean if i would have thought about it eventually or somebody would have hinted to it i could have maybe pulled it out mm-hmm. but as soon as they said it i was like son of a bitch yes <laughs> yeah it's so funny how a lot of these movies that came out at the same time use the same set and they're all kind of almost connected in the sense but um yeah i love the you know to talk about the production design i love the ending of that kind of epic where they had the epic fight the uh, the martial arts fight where everyone's flying in the air when you said that burton was the co-star that part was always weird because the guy that plays i think rain uh-huh. um he's the one that uh wayne fights with the sword yeah and like he's kicking ass like even after they do they do the jump things and they land the guy with the uh, the storm looks at him like up and down like shit like he blew through, he massacred all those people in that big fight, and Wang is keeping up with him. So mm-hmm. he looked Wang up and down, like, "Damn, you're a good fighter." And I was like, always blown away by that. I'm like, like maybe Wang shouldn't, like, you know what I mean? Like Wang's legit; he's a real deal. Yeah. But it's now the whole sidekick thing. You know what I mean? It kicks it even more mm-hmm. that, yeah, Wang kicked ass on his own. Well, Wayne, you know, play, he's played by Dennis Dunn, who was a character actor at the time. Uh, this is probably, I would say maybe this is probably his most famous part. Uh, I'm sure he p- appeared on a lot of television and stuff like that. But I heard an interview uh, of, what, of what he said about the relationship between Wayne and Jack Burton, which makes, makes a lot of sense. He describes it as a Butch Cassidy and the Sons Dance Kid type of relationship. Meaning that, you know, that's the, the, the Western with Robert Redford and, and um, Paul Newman. Paul Newman. And where they had like this tit for tat relationship, you know, they were kind of best friends, but they were kind of always commenting on, on what, what is happening. And I think that's the perfect way to describe Jack and Wang's relationship. The, these guys are, 
you know, on equal level, the same, but um, clearly Wang is the better fighter. <laughs> and Jack yeah, has their own attributes. And Jack, yeah, Jack, it's just, you know, it's a, it's just a lovable doofus, you know, but, but not, not in the way that you, you think he's a, a dummy. I think you just kind of admire his go get it attitude. Yeah. And the perfect example is he opens the door and like, you know, when he tells everybody, okay, it's going to be like from here, it's just a bunch of normal shit. He opens the door and he sees all the bad guys and then slams it real quick. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, he tells everybody to run and hide because they only saw him. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's like, okay, he's playing the hero, you know? Like, yeah, okay, yeah. I'm a hero. And then Wing shows up and like, you know, like do or die together. And he fucking throws his knife trying to get it out of his boot. Mm-hmm. Remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes and gets his knife. By the time he goes back, Wing has kicked the shit out of everybody. <laughs> so at that point, he's got to understand. Yeah, Wing's on some next level shit on his own, but he still gives him a look like, yeah, you know, like if I would have came back, I would have been able to kick ass too. We, you know, before we end this discussion, we got to talk about the one big, I'd say the thing I remember the most from my initial uh, watching of the movie, it's when we got the one of the members of the three storms, Thunder, where he turns into a big, you know, <laughs> He swells he up. He starts, yeah. He swells. So the so the the scene that leads up to that to to that to that point where Thunder kind of swells up and it turns into a big. I don't know. He's filled. He, yeah, because Lopan took off, and Jack Burton got the Kim Cattrall. I think didn't he trying to get? Didn't he just kill Lopan with a knife with a knife throwing thing? Yeah, because that's what I was gonna say. Yeah. Lopan's alive. He's trying to sneak out with oh, Kim Cattrall. Right, right, right. They run into Lopan, and then he decides to. Like try to end it, and he gets in front of uh, Kim Control, and he's got his little knife, and he throws it, and Lopan just moves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the gong behind him, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, "Ah, good night." <laughs> like Lopan picks it up, he's a goodbye, Mister Burton, and he throws it right at him, and Jack grabs it and just like instinctively throws it back, and it pops right between his eyes. Which a knife going through a skull is like almost impossible, but whatever. <laughs> so that's where he kills Lopan. And that's when he kind of repeats, it's all in the reflexes, right? Yeah, it's all in the reflexes. Which is a callback to the to the, the beginning of the movie, which I love when they when movies do callbacks. It just makes it all perfect. Uh-huh. But it's funny because he says it to her like she knew the line <laughs> from the beginning. But And then he's got his fucking lipstick all over his face. <laughs> Good knife. Goodbye, Mr. Burton. It's on the reflexes. Now let's talk a little bit about the lipstick because that was a improv. Because, like, because you know, like the reason we say that that Burton is like kind of a buffoon is because Kurt Russell wanted to make him into a buffoon. And so this was an improv that just happened during the, the, the shooting of the movie where Kim Cattrall, as Gracie Law, kisses him and, and the, his, her makeup, her, her lipstick gets smeared on his face. Over. Yeah. And instead of wiping it off, Kurt Russell says, no, this is perfect. I want this. This makes me look even stupider <laughs> in the scene. And it's a big laugh. It's a really big laugh in the movie when he comes out because he's trying to act all tough, but yet he has this kind of lipstick on his face. Yeah, and so that kind of ends into really wacky scene because I still don't understand why Thunder. Yeah, because Thunder basically comes and sees Lopan dead uh-huh. and like loses his shit. 
and I guess expands his body like 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 a, like a like balloon. He can control thunder, but he's like <laughs> he's keeping it in his body, <laughs> and he's just getting huge. And like they show his like his belt explode <laughs> off, then his shoes explode mm-hmm. off, his hands and feet get all fat. Um, like he's like losing pressure out of his ears. Mm-hmm. He basically becomes a bomb or a human bomb balloon or something. He explodes. But he just completely <laughs> explodes. I don't think he's gonna stop. Come on! But it was so cheesy. It was like they they put an M80 in like a head of lettuce, <laughs> right? Because it was like, oh, he sees a bunch of lettuce fly when he blows up. <laughs> but yeah, that, that was his big thing was to explode. That particular scene in that, that sequence is the one that I kind of remember the most from my initial yeah. watch when I was 10 years old watching it for it the first time. It would leave a mark, for sure. <laughs> yeah. I do. Oh, so that, was, that brings me to one of my points was when um, Shen, Egg Shen, was fighting Lopan. Yeah. But they were using like uh, the avatars through their bracelets or their rings but see that's the part i didn't get low pants like hundreds of years old right mm-hmm. and then he tells egg shen you never could beat me so we're is egg shen hundreds of years old too i think so i think so he, he's definitely a, a a sorcerer yeah so he has to be he has to be yeah yeah they've been fighting for a while yeah, yeah at the end he's taking the vacation yeah all right so that's about it i mean there's a lot to talk about it i'm sure we missed a lot of things about big trouble in little china but that's our kind of our thoughts about the movie and how much you know it has played an important part in our lives but more you because i mean this was like one of your favorites i love the idea of coming going back and revisiting the film and like uh, getting a chance to see it again and really appreciate it appreciating it for, for, for the first time yeah and i gotta be honest i never stopped yeah. Like I've continued like my wife hates it when this comes up on Netflix or something. <laughs> and she's like, son of a bitch. Like she knows it's gonna there's gonna walk into the room, it's gonna be on. It's, there's no question. I just I can't get my kids to sit. I mean really? I hate them. Yeah, they're they're assholes. It's kinda <laughs> uh we were at that age when if your parent said something, you just didn't believe them just because they're old and how dare they have an opinion like mine. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> How dare you tell me what I should like? But yeah, I'll definitely watch this when it goes on to the different uh, platforms. Wherever it is, as soon as I see it, I'll watch it. I re- I just recently caught it on Tubi, and it's like it's always kind of available on streaming, and so it's it's there if you want to see it. It's I'm sure it's going to be on Netflix. I'm sure it's going to be on Amazon Prime sooner or later. So you know, really quick uh, before we before we end up episode i want to like take some time to talk about victor wong because i thought that his his life story was a, a interesting one now he's the one who plays egg shin in the movie the the other sorcerer the the good sorcerer so victor wong and and, and you know i just read the an, an obituary because he passed away like a more than 20 years ago and it was a pretty long lengthy piece on on his work and i was so fascinated by who this guy was to us, he's a character actor. He was in Big Trouble in Little China. He was also in The Last Emperor. And uh, to me, I remember him probably mostly from Tremors. He was uh, the storekeeper in Tremors. And and for you, you liked him in Three Ninjas. He was in all, all those films. 
and so he was very yeah, but mostly i liked him in big or uh golden child oh golden child yes yeah yeah so yeah. <laughs> So he would he would appear in uh, in a lot of these eighties and nineties uh, films and television, and he was a, a terrific character actor, Chinese American character actor. Also, in his you know, and then maybe this is, has something to do about this generation of actors that he had another life. He was also a journalist, uh, and an improv comedian, and an artist, and he went to school for journalism. So this guy was a big intellect, who was much more than just this you know you know friendly looking character actor you, you know when i see him i see my father you know i see a guy who an immigrant you know a guy who very uh, charming T- to read about what he has done you know he was very much part of of san francisco community he was part of the beat generation and this is what i thought was so fascinating he was big friends with jack kerouac the beat generation author who you know is known for um uh, on the road. I'm not a big reader, so I don't know his books that much, but I know Jack Kerouac's by name. The, I think some of the, like the tragic stuff that I read about him, like when, when we talk about the opening scene in, in big trouble, which was a reshoot, the studios wanted him to, uh, rebrand Russell's part. They want to make sure the audience knew that Jack Burton was a real hero. So that's the whole point of that scene where, you know, egg is standing up for him. Yeah, he wants him to leave alone because he's done <laughs> more than, uh, like, you know, that he needed to do and all that stuff, yeah. Yeah, and so in this obituary that I read, and, I, and it talked a little bit about that scene, because what happened was, like, the movie has wrapped, so he was called back to to reshoot this scene months later. During that time, uh, uh, Victor Wong's uh, son passed away. He was killed in a, in a fight, in a, in, a, in a fist fight. And so right after the, his wake, his son's wake, he had to shoot that scene. Oh, shit. Dude. And so he had to, and so if you look at that scene, he is, he does look pretty, you know, um, initially the movie was going to start with our introduction with Jack. Just in the car. In, yeah. the, in the truck, right. So what I read is that after the scene was done, after having this kind of long, horrible weekend with, with, with the funeral, he got his first heart attack after that, Victor Wong. And he would have multiple heart attacks throughout his career. Yeah, I was reading that, that he had several. And also he suffered from Bell's palsy, which made his... Yeah, I was reading that too. <laughs> which made that... That's why he has that kind of lopsided like face. droopy face. Yeah, yeah, so that... and Because, and, dude, I got that, remember? Yeah, I remember you had that. But right? mine was so fast to come and go. It's weird because Danny got it too, and Danny was all... He that's never right. got... He never got fully aware. They say that when it... Like, however long you have it is when you start getting into, like, the lasting. And Danny had his for a couple months, and I only had mine for, like, a week and a half. Is that right? And, yeah, so for the most part, I feel like mine's gone. But Danny said he had his for a while, and then I, I my godfather has it, too. My, my father I had, had it. it. My father had it, and my uncle had it. And I think it both affected their faces. So it's just, a, yeah. that's another thing that I felt very relatable when I read that story that, and also you could see it in his performances. Like the, that's maybe that's why I say he kind of looks like my father. He kind of reminds me of that, you know, partially half droopy face. Yeah. yeah. Um, here's the, the, I mean, the most fascinating thing about the, about his life. And so, you know, because he had these multiple heart attacks and, you know, he was not in the greatest health. He retired from acting in, in the, 
late 90s, early 2000s. And so he kind of just became a, an artist because he's always an artist type. And he started like drawing on the computer. He was, you know, it was a, he was kind of experimenting on graphic arts. I guess that's the, it was easy for him to draw on the computer. And so he would spend a lot of nights on his computer and he would like go to sleep at seven o'clock in the morning. That's, that's how he ended his day. One day, he was about to go to sleep and he got some news that uh, some terrorists have hijacked an airplane in New York. It was September 11th. He was very concerned of the, of the news because he had, he had two, his two remaining sons lived in New York and they lived right next to the World Trade Center. So the whole day he was kind of um, worried and he was like a lot, like all of us were just com- completely shocked about what's, what's going on. And he was trying to contact his, his sons. Of course, you know, you know, you couldn't get through it during that time because everything was, you know, the phones were jammed and all that stuff. And he eventually, during that day, he, he did contact his sons. They were okay. Their families were okay. But he continued to watch the news, didn't get much sleep. And he talked to his wife, right? So his, his wife is, uh, it's like, it's, she said it's 10 o'clock at night on September 11th. She's exhausted. She has to go to sleep. And he was still at his computer kind of watching the news and wasn't going to sleep yet. And he said to her, um, the world will never be the same after this. And she said she agreed and she went to sleep. And that was his last words, because later in that night, he had a heart attack and he died. And that was September 12th, early in the morning. You know, like a weird uh, coincidence that that he was almost like a, a casualty, a casualty of September 11th and, and uh, what happened. So it's it's just it's, a, it's just an amazing story about Victor Wong that I was just so blown away by his story and his life and how he died. Yeah. So Victor Wong, rest in peace. Fantastic actor. That's totally crazy, man. <laughs> That's crazy. You always know how to end shit on a high note, man. <laughs> <laughs> all right man that's it for this episode of uh tarantino's uh it was a great talking to you angel again we have fun time going back living reliving our memories yeah it's it's like conversation with friends all right oh uh, you know what this is how we should end you know this is another great kind of to go back to big trouble um one of the things i i i found in my research was that you know we talk about some of the sets in the movie and how great they are. Well, apparently they, they were used in other things. And one of those uh, sets, the, the one particularly with the fight in the alley, the one you love so much, that scene. Yeah. That was Gremlins? Used... No, no. no. Uh, I'm just taking a guess. It was used in one particular music video for Janet Jackson. It was, it's a song, When I Think of You. If you look at the video, it's a one continuous shot throughout the whole video, and it goes through all of the set. And look, I, I can't get the confirmation if this was true, because the rumor is that this was the same set as Big Trouble in Little China. But, you know, if you look at the music video, I, I think it is. It looks exactly like it. So we'll end this episode with a little bit from the music video, When I Think of You, from uh, Janet Jackson. Uh,